Hello and welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church here in Maryville, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week, as well as our conversations episodes, which include interviews, special announcements, and in-depth teaching. You can visit vineyardchurch.us to learn more about us or to access the audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. I want you guys to be aware of, um, uh, as it pertains to the building and all the transition that's going on, uh, you may remember for, for the last few months we've been talking about over at the other building how, hey, we're hoping to get in here and get this thing settled and get things done. And then the, the real question that was sort of hanging in the air was, are we going to run out of cash on hand before we move into the building? You remember that, that discussion? It's like, well, we'll see. It's like, I don't know. We'll see. Um, continue to be generous and then we'll see. And so people are now wondering, did we make it? Did we make it? Uh, no. No, we didn't make it. But maybe, but maybe. So here's how that is. Um, now, keep in mind, a big picture, our church is in a, a healthy place financially. Um, there's other ways for, all, there are places that we can access cash, et cetera, et cetera. But in a way that we were comfortable with, we wanted to have cash on hand to finish all the stuff that we needed to do here in the building. And the question, again, did we make it? Not quite, but maybe. Here's why I say, but maybe. Um, there are elements of the project that have not yet been completed. There are two really large and expensive HVAC units that actually serve this room um, that need to be replaced. And you may remember from before, uh, they were delayed several months. And so the, uh, the units in here um, are old and are set to be replaced. Uh, but we haven't, they're very expensive, but we haven't, we haven't done that yet. We haven't finished that part of the project, and it was sort of, so, sort of budgeted in. So it will be October sometime uh, before we actually get those in. So what that means is we haven't written a few big checks that are yet to be written. So the question was, can we do it before we run out of cash? Well, we haven't yet run out of cash because we haven't yet paid for those and a few other things that are just uh, that need to be completed as part of the ongoing project. So what that means is we didn't make it, but silver lining, we bought some time. So uh, in the next couple of months, uh, it would be really fantastic if you guys, as you have been, um, just continue to be generous, continue to let the Lord lead you in how you give and giving. Specifically to the building fund, if you're able to do that above and beyond, will help us get there. And so I, I, I didn't mean to sort of delay that, but that's just sort of the way um, it played out. So I'm still hoping we make it. I kind of think that we, I think that we can. Um, and a couple other things, just that you know the project's not entirely finished. We wanted to move in, but we, we called, as you remember, a soft launch, not a grand opening. That's coming later. Um, uh, so there are a few things that we haven't done yet that we intend to do, but obviously we're just going to wait. We're, we're, we're kind of waiting, still waiting to see if there's enough cash on hand to finish the project. So um, those things are waiting. Things like sound treatment in the lobby and in the hallways. Some of you have been like, do you know it's super loud in here? It's like, yeah, we know. Yeah, we know it's super loud in here. Um, this room has sound tre treatment. Nowhere else in the building does it. Um, and that's quite expensive and involved. Um, so that's one of those things we're kind of waiting. Um, permanent signage, uh, the, the exterior signage on the building will, will come soon. And then we'll do some um, like monument-type signage at some point down the road. We don't have a timetable for that. Um, those things get weirdly expensive, so we're kind of waiting and seeing on that. Um, uh, fencing around the pond. Uh, we were still debating whether or not we would do that, and then our insurance uh, agent ended the debate. So uh, <laughs> we're going to do that. <laughs> 
So anyway, and then there's just a, there's just a long list of other kind of not yets and maybes and we'll sees and, and, and TBDs. All of these are things, of course, that, that we knew were needed, but we really want to be wise financial stewards. Um, like I said, our church is in a healthy place financially. We could go out and get a loan. We could go out. We just, we don't want to. Uh, we don't want to carry any more debt than we currently are, and we want to knock out the debt that we have as soon as we possibly can. So that's the update on that. And there are a couple of things that did catch us on uh, by surprise. Uh, one, we needed more handicapped parking than we had last week. I didn't see that one coming. I don't know who I don't know who it was, but there was someone who was uh, had some physical disabilities who had to like hike to church last week. I don't know who it was. I just want to say I'm sorry. I I did not see that one coming. We have more handicapped parking now. Please forgive us on that. Some things we didn't see coming. Another thing we didn't see coming is when there's a much larger lobby um, and there's like uh, more room and time for people to hang out, then they drink a lot more coffee. We ran out of coffee. So there's some stuff you just, we didn't, yep, didn't see that one coming. So uh, we're adjusting to those things. We're going to keep adjusting to those things. So uh, anyway, I just want to remind you, uh, those many, many, many of you um, have given above and beyond uh, up front, and then you've also set, uh, you know, we have pledge cards. Uh, if you don't have those or you haven't seen them, they're in the, at the info section, which is now to the back left as you exit. Um, some, if you want to jump in on that, but many of you have given up front and, and done a three-year pledge. And so with those pledges coming in, you've been so faithful in that. Thank you so much. Uh, we will, when we are ready and when we can do so in a way that is fiscally responsible, uh, we will finish uh, everything on the list, and then we'll start knocking out debt as soon as we possibly can. One more little housekeeping thing. Um, if you send your giving to the church via uh, mail, like a, I don't know, some amount of you just check in the mail, um, our address is no longer 713 William Blunt Drive. It's 1225 William Blunt Drive, and, and we really want to bless the church that's moving in over, <laughs> but like not that much, so... <laughs> Uh, if you would make sure, make sure uh, that you change that, whether it's with your bank or just however you got that set up. And if you have any questions about that, Johnny at J-O-N-N-Y, Johnny at our website, vineyardchurch.us would be the way uh, to take care of that. Okay, that's the update. Let me say one last time, thank you so much for your generosity along the way. It's so cool to be here. Um, now we've got to kind of finish the task, but it's so I'm just so very grateful uh, for your generosity along the way. It's been really beautiful to see. Um, all right, let's take a minute to pray, and then we will get into the message. Lord, we love you so, so much. It's so good to be with you. It's so good to be with your people. It's so good to be in your presence. We ask, Lord, that your, your spirit would draw even, even more, uh, would, it would draw near to us. And um, as we sang about, Lord, you, you really do. You meet us here. That's not just words to a song. Like that's, we believe that. We have experienced it over and over again. And when you meet with us, you have, you have things to say to us and things to do in our midst, Lord. I think you want to speak to people today. I, I believe you and I've been praying for healings today, deliverances today, like just you to intervene. So Holy Spirit, come. Do whatever you have in mind for today. And it's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Amen. There's uh, one more thing that I thought of there. Uh, that I didn't mention. In the chair back in front of you, there are these uh, fall calendars. Please take one of those home with you. Um, they are just lovely and will look fantastic on your refrigerator. I guarantee it. Um, so please take that with you. And then um, uh, I want to highlight, by the way, since we were talking about trying to kind of finish the task with the things that are not yet completed here, you'll notice on November 5th is a grand opening. 
So we've had our soft launch. On November 5th, we will have our grand opening. And maybe everything will be done then and maybe not, but I hope so. That'd be really fun. So that's sort of the next target that we've got out there in front of us. Okay, uh, we're starting a new series today on prayer, and we're doing um, reading a book together called How to Pray. A Simple Guide for Normal People, which is good because we've got lots of normal people in our church. Um, and so we're going to sort of teach through that, and we're going to follow uh, the acronym that the, that's followed in the book. And I think acronyms are cheesy, and I don't know, I don't love them. And yet sometimes they're really great and help you remember stuff, and so we're going to do it. Uh, so the acronym uh, for the, the kind of the phases of this are P-R-A-Y, which of course spells pray, pause, rejoice, ask, and yield. I think we have that. There it is. Yeah. Pause, rejoice, ask, and yield. All right. We're going to work our way through that, a little bit of time on each, um, which means today we're talking about pause. And while we all know what that means to just take a pause, um, the fact is this one is, this one's really hard. See? Do you see how horrible that was? That was awful. Some of your hearts are about to pound out of your chest. What's happening right now? It was so terrible, wasn't it? Oh, my goodness. That was the worst. Okay. Uh, I'm dying right now. Something just came over me. So what we just experienced, that horrible thing on radio and TV broadcasts, they call that dead air. And that's you can't have dead air. All right? If there's dead air on radio or TV, TV, somebody's about to lose their job because you cannot have a pause. Okay? It's like we're allergic to silence. But the thing is, it's, this reality has always been a thing, I guess, but it's hitting new levels in our context. Like, it's really, really changing. Like, digital distraction is a lot more than just a buzzword, guys. Like, it's kind of the air that we breathe. It's kind of standard operating procedure. I, I wonder, it's an important question. Um, do any of you remember boredom? <laughs> you remember that? Remember when that was a thing? That used to be a thing. Uh, when I was a, a little kid, that was one of the three scariest things in the whole world to me. Three scariest things. Uh, number three was talking to adults. I was just a little kid. I don't know where I got this impression, but I was certain that if I ever spoke to adults, most of them would murder me in cold blood on the spot. Like, it's just, what I don't know why. How did I get that idea? They would definitely kill you, though, so you can't talk. That was number three. Number two, which is worse than talking to adults, was quicksand. Uh... Which turned out to not be anywhere near as big of a problem as the cartoons made it out to be. I do remember as a kid being like, when is like, President Reagan going to address the issues? Like, we got people being swallowed up whole into the earth. It's not, it turns out it's not that big a deal. Uh, and then number one, boredom. I would, I would rather be stuck in quicksand. I might die, but I wouldn't be bored, Right? <laughs> And the expression, bored to death, I thought that was real. Yeah, if you're bored, you'll die. So it was the scariest thing in the world when I was a kid. Guys, now I fantasize about being bored. I, fan I dream about it when I go to sleep at night. Anyway, some of you uh, are too young to know about boredom. Uh, it was a thing that happened. It happened, uh, kind of addressing the, the, I know the youth's kind of, so there's a thing called boredom um, up until about 2008. And then we all got these handheld digital appendages, and it all went away. There was a time, let me explain this. There, there was a time, this, this will blow your mind, okay. There was a time when you were in 
like the, a long line at Kroger or Sky City, if you get the reference, anybody? You're in a long line, um, and then while you stood there in that line, you just stood there in that line. But it was a thing. Like, um, and people would twiddle their thumbs. That's the thing that people used to do when there was nothing. Instead of doing this with their thumbs, they would do this with their thumbs because they were bored. That was a thing that used to happen. Or you'd get on a slow elevator. Anybody remember this? And there was nothing to look at except your shoes or, God forbid, make eye contact with someone else on the elevator. That was the worst. And then the absolute worst one of all is you get on an airplane and you would finish your book. <laughs> now what? You're just suspended in the air over Arkansas somewhere, and there's nothing to do. And you have to decide between, A, being alone with your thoughts and maybe having an existential crisis because of it, or B, talking to the totally weird person next to you. And that was it. Those are the only options. And all of those moments, like there might be, seriously, there might be a hundred of them throughout the course of a day. Every one of them were these these little portals to reflection, to prayer, to stillness, to thought. And now, functionally, they're all closed. And I wonder if we've spent enough time thinking about how drastic of a change that is. It's huge. Here's a thought. Think about this. A hundred years ago, hundred years, just a, like historically, that's like, no time at all. It was, that's a blip. It's a second. 100 years ago, if you ever heard music ever in your whole entire life, it would, because, it would be because you went somewhere to hear it played live or you made it yourself. Otherwise, you didn't hear it. That's really different. There was no recorded music. People didn't say live music. Like, why would you say that? As opposed to dead music? Like... That's just music. It was always live or it didn't exist because there wasn't recorded music. That's very different. I recently did a a kind of fast where for just one day, I couldn't hit play on anything. I still had my phone. I still had my laptop. I still checked email. I just couldn't hit play on music or a podcast, a TV show, or an audio book. I'm embarrassed to admit it, but by the end of the day, I thought I was going to break out in hives. I went home, and I was like, just wanted to kick the dog so badly. And I didn't, I didn't know. And I didn't, I didn't tell Sharon I was doing it. And she was like, and I was just like hanging around. I was like, you want to take a walk? You want to go sit on the porch? Do you want to, you want to stare into each other's eyes? Like, what do you want? And she's like, what's wrong with you? Did you lose your headphones again? I lose my headphones all the time. True story, right now. I have no idea where they're at. She was like, is that what's going on? It was so, because I was so weird. A hundred years ago, there was literally nothing to hit play on. Nothing. It wasn't a thing. If you were going to play something, that meant you went outside and played. That's how we use the word. Uh, just yesterday, I came across, it's so funny, this is an article um, about this viral trend on TikTok called Silent Walking. And, it's, and, and it's, it's hot, man. We're taking the world by storm with these new innovations. Um, you just take a walk and leave your headphones out. That's it. That's all it is. It's just, so I was like, you mean walking? And now they're, you know, like, wow, that's a thing. All right. 
Things are different. That's what I'm saying. And I'll be very clear. Don't misread me. I am, I'm not anti-technology at all. I'm, I'm amazed by the magic of these things. It's, and I, I, I don't think this is the wrong word for it either. It's, this is more confession than anything. I kind of have a lust for tech. Like, ooh, you know? I like it. It's exciting to me. Um, they're, they're magical. We took a, a long road trip with the kids recently. And one of the questions we asked is, what would you do if you were just exorbitantly wealthy? You know, like what sort of elaborate thing would you do for yourself? My answer, it was a true answer. It was the first thing that came to my mind. It's ridiculous. Um, it was that I would not keep a case on my phone. And they're like, that's it? And I was like, it just feels so much cooler without a case. Like, seriously? Yeah, I don't know. This is, I love the stupid things. Um, true story. I stood in line for hours to buy the very first iPad. All right, I was, I was one of those fools who stood in line for hours. And I've preached from one without fail ever since. I'm not against technology. I, I let ChatGPT write all my sermons now. It's fantastic. <laughs> That's not true. That's not true. Okay. But here's the thing. It's, it's, it is a zero-sum game. So every drop of attention that is directed toward a screen has to be attention then that is directed away from something else, usually away from someone else. And, you know, multinational corporations are spending billions and billions of dollars every year, not just trying to get your attention, but to keep your attention. And there's a kind of tyranny in that, all right, not to be alarmist. Uh, Again, I'm not a Luddite. But here's the thing. I mean, this is important. It's not just that these devices get our attention. That's only half of it. And that's not what makes them so alluring and magical. And it's definitely not what makes us addicted to them, just that they get attention. Guys, a fire alarm will get your attention. You'll be really glad when it stops, okay? It's not that phones get our attention. It's that they are unfailingly attentive to us, responding to our our every move or swipe or scroll. And think about it. We look at them, they literally recognize our faces and light up. And they never look away. Never. Do you see how that taps into some deep fundamental need? Yeah, that's it. There are studies that are done. You can see them on YouTube um, while you're looking at the screen again. Um, these YouTube videos, they're hard to watch. Uh, they really are. They're, they're gruesome. They're called still face videos. Have you ever seen them? What they do is they, they get a parent alone in a room with a small child, usually about a year old. And the, chair, the parent will sit right in front of their child, look right at them, um, and then go completely still face and not respond to the child at all. And in just a few seconds, at most a couple of minutes, that kid gets really agitated. Give it another minute or two, and they lose their mind. <laughs> they just come unglued. Well, why is that? See, here's the thing. From birth, we are driven to seek eye contact, to be seen, okay? But not just to be seen, to be acknowledged, to be responded to. Toddlers are often really frustrated, and I totally get it, um, because they want to manipulate their world, their environment, but they can't. 
They can't express themselves, you know? They have a will and they have a desire and they want things to happen. And they don't have any perspective to realize that if it doesn't happen, everything's going to be okay. And they try to assert their will and they can't. They can't express themselves. They don't have words for it. And it's really, really frustrating. I get it. But then give that kid an iPad or a tablet or whatever and watch their whole world change. Because what happens, they exit this frustrating reality where they're desperate for connection and control and attention. And then they enter into this simulated reality where they're in total control. Just every flicker scroll, this magical screen responding to their every move. And then take that iPad away and watch them melt down. If they do, don't get mad at them. Their fundamental God-given desire to be recognized and paid attention to and known and responded to is finally getting met, and then it got taken away. Of course they lose their minds. So for the emerging generation, Gen Z, um, they're genuine digital natives. Maybe you've heard that term. Basically, it means a world of responsive screens around you all the time. Since birth, all right? So told the story before, but I always think of it, my daughter, uh, when she was just a toddler, she, I don't, maybe two, at, or even not quite two, I handed her a magazine. So magazines are paper little booklets that are filled with pictures and stuff. So anyway, I handed her a magazine, she was a toddler, she, I don't think she'd ever seen a magazine before in her life. She looks at it like it's this weird thing, and then I kid you not, she looks at an image, kind of zeroes in, and then she tries to pinch and zoom the image on the magazine. And I was like, oh no, honey, that's not how it works. If you want the picture to be bigger, you just hold hold it closer to your face. That's how it works. So when the kids have, have this sort of responsive environment around them all the time, literally from birth as digital natives, We get really strongly connected to those things. You might go, okay, fine, yeah, but that's a toddler. But here's the thing. That desire for responsiveness and attentiveness, what makes you think that you've grown out of that? The inherent desire. Like, do you think that just dissipated? No, you just grew up and learned how to regulate your emotions. That desire is still inherent. It's no wonder then that uh, nomophobia is now this rapidly growing clinical diagnosis that's being treated with increasingly radical interventions, including some really strong medications. Nomophobia, by the way, is the fear of being without your phone. No-mo-phone. Nomophobia. (laughs) That's literally where it came from. Nomophobia. It's fear of being without your phone or of your battery dying. So we have, listen, well-adjusted adults having full-scale panic attacks because their battery indicator popped up. So look, I'm, I'm not mad. I'm not panicking. I'm, I'm not ranting. I'm really not trying to. Maybe it comes out that way. I, and deep breath, everybody. I'm not going to tell you your phone is sinful. <laughs> I'm not, not going to propose we start a commune and all start churning butter together. I'm not going. I'm literally preaching from an iPad right now. Okay. <laughs> but listen to me. It's important we acknowledge how different this is. This is really different. And maybe... A simple but absolutely fundamental biblical commandment like be still and know that he is God. Maybe that presents to us now a radically different set of challenges than it did 
in 2008 before the sudden death of boredom. It's different. Uh, what we talk about more than anything else around here is walking with Jesus, right? That's the, the core of who we are, walk with Jesus and, and love our neighbor. And I continue to wear out the Dallas Willard quote over and over again about the goal being for our minds to return to Jesus throughout the course of a day like the needle of a compass returns to the north. But for a lot of us, our minds return to our devices like the needle of a compass returns to the north. And walking with Jesus means living the way that he lived. And full stop, I mean, this is, you, you, you cannot, this can't be argued, okay? Stillness and solitude were everyday occurrences for Jesus. They were fundamental to how he walked with the Father. Luke 5, 16 says he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. Often. Often. Where's Jesus? Far away in a desert somewhere or a mountaintop. Or I haven't seen him you know, he didn't come back last night, <laughs> or he was gone when we all got up this morning. He's off all by himself, as he is all the time, because he often withdraws to deserted places. Quiet places, desolate places, get translated lots of different ways, but it just means a place of alone. And he prayed. The book that we're studying walks through the Lord's Prayer, and that's exactly the way it should be. You know, Jesus was asked, how do we pray? And his answer was, the Lord's Prayer. So, we should start there for sure, and we are. But what's often forgotten is that before Jesus actually gave us that template for how to pray, he gave us instructions that you follow first in order to get ready to pray. Right before he did the Lord's Prayer, which many of you can quote, we've got, we've got this verse. Same subject, just two verses away. He says this, Matthew 6, verse 6. When you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you. Pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. So why don't you think about 2,000 years ago, long before touchscreens or play buttons, way before anything ever got plugged into an outlet, before Wordle or Insta or Netflix or Snapchat, Jesus told his disciples, he goes, hey guys, listen, it is way too, too distracting out there in the world. It's just too much going on. There are too many distractions for you to be able to actually focus in prayer. And so, before you even begin your prayer, step one, get alone. Shut the door. When the Bible talks about a prayer closet, I mean, it, 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 it's literal. So here's not what I'm going to say. Oh, in Greek, that means uh, no. It, no, it means a closet. It means a closet. <laughs> like a closet closet. Like go to your pantry and close the door. Or go to your laundry room. Laundry rooms are much less time. I'm actually pretty distracted in a pantry. <laughs> There's a lot to do in there. <laughs> I just thought of that. Uh, laundry room, I'm, I'm good there. You know, I don't know. Do, I don't have one of those. Crawl under your bed if you have to. Put up a yurt in your backyard. That's it's basically what Moses did, all right? That's essentially the tent of meaning. True story. As a kid, I heard this, you know, this, in, I was in church, and I heard about going into your prayer closet, and I took it literally, which is correct. But at the time, I don't know. I was just, okay, I should do that. And I'm looking around our house. This is a long time ago. Not a single walk-in closet anywhere in the house. All we had was those, like, like two-foot-deep ones just 
just wide enough to be able to hang a jacket or a coat or something. So we only had those. And I was like, well, I don't know. It's what the Bible says. So uh, I remember taking a time when I knew no one was watching and going into our hallway where we had a coat closet. And I was in high school. I was a pretty big kid folding myself into that place, just however, and then closing the door, having to pull the door to get it to latch behind me. And there I'm just, I'm just in there. It's like musty and there's like old stuff in there and my, you know, jackets in my face. The reason why I remember that so vividly is not because it was ridiculous. It was because it was really meaningful and beautiful. And I ended up going there again and again and again. And I met with the Lord again and again, folded into a hallway coat closet because you just have to get away. You have to shut out the noise and the distraction. And I want to be very clear about this. Quick little caveat. This does not mean that you cannot pray as you go throughout the day that's good. It doesn't mean that your phone, for example, cannot be a tool that helps you out along the way. One of my favorite prayer tools, by the way, is an app called Pray As You Go. So you can pray as you go, and you can even use your phone. It's okay. I'm not saying any of that is bad. I think all of that is great. But this does mean that at the core, I mean the core of your life with God, there must be stillness, solitude, privacy, you alone with him, unplugged from everything else. Henri Nouwen said this, it sounds like an overstatement. I don't think it is. Without solitude, it's virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. It couldn't be any more fundamental. And I, I don't think I'm, being, I'm overstating it or being dramatic. I think it's never been harder to do than it is now. And some people might say and, and often say, well, it's actually, it's impossible. It's not. It's just not. It's like all the other things that bring real and lasting change and growth in your life. It's hard. It's hard. Now, if you're reading along in our book, uh, then you've probably already come to the story of Susanna Wesley. If you've read that, I love this story. She was raising and educating 10 kids, 10, 10 kids on her own. And she also ran a Sunday school that was larger than most churches out of a barn, okay? And she could not find a second alone to pray in solitude. So all throughout the day, this was her rhythm, she would stop what she was doing. She would pull her apron over her head and plop on the floor right where she was at. And all the kids knew, oh, back off. We've got to stop mauling mom for one second. She's praying, don't mess with her. And she did it over and over and over throughout the day because she had to find a way, a rhythm, somehow to find silence and solitude. Raising those 10 kids. Two of those kids, by the way, were John and Charles Wesley, who spearheaded the First Great Awakening and founded the Methodists. So now, I don't know, like 80 million Christians later, it seems like her determination paid off. It's hard, it's not impossible. It's exactly what our enemy hopes you will believe. Before Jesus tells them what to pray, he tells them where to go. Find a place and get alone. Jesus would often hike to mountaintops, get up early, stay late, just whatever it took. Now here's a thought. Here's a thought. I'm wrapping up here. Um, if Jesus, the Son of God, 
found it to be necessary to get completely alone with the Father in order to connect with him, then I, I think it would be pretty ridiculous for any of us to consider that optional for us. Don't you think? Like, well, maybe, maybe he needed that. I'm more of a pray-as-you-go kind of guy. Maybe Jesus needed all of that hullabaloo in order to connect with his Father, but not me. I got it all right here, right here. Okay, that's ridiculous, okay? Um, And one more thought, last thought. Hitting pause, finding silence, finding solitude is really, really hard. Just that's the reality of the context we're in, and it just gets harder. Okay. But I think, actually think there's one other challenge for us to overcome other than just the sheer logistical difficulty of doing it, um, which is that maybe we, we don't really want it anyway. Maybe we're not actually interested in stillness and solitude with the Lord. Um, and possibly it's because it sounds boring, which it can be, by the way. Um, but just as likely, and I think actually more likely, whether we realize it or not, I think we might not be super interested because it sounds scary. Like, if you're alone with God, then it's, it's just you and God. Your thoughts, your fears, your doubts, your sins, alone with the God who knows it all. Every secret, every shortcoming. And that can be intimidating. And I think people do it without realizing it. They actually avoid this instead of seeking it out, and I get it. Silence is terrifying because it will force you to face your pain. If you're in agony and you're just still before the Lord, you just your pain's just going to scream. You have to deal with it. That's hard. I was praying with a friend recently, and he was kind of in an awful way and really struggling and a lot of pain in his life. And as we were praying together, I kept saying, let's just be still and let's just hear from the Lord. And he'd get really uncomfortable and pray into the silence every time. He did it again and again, and he just couldn't. He couldn't. Because stillness means you have to face your pain. Um, When you're with God and you're in silence, uh, there's like no room to play around, you know. There's no space for games. It It gets real, real, real quick. And people don't always like that. I get it. Because, again, if it's, if it's just you and God, you have to, you got to deal with whatever it is. Um, and you also might feel if it's just you and God, like you have to get everything perfect. you got to say or think everything just right, you know, because he's perfect in every way. So we got to get this right. we got to do it right. As it turns out, the exact opposite is true. Uh, when you come to God, you will always, always be met with love and kindness. Always. Now, that doesn't mean you won't feel challenged or conviction when you come to the Lord. It just means that even the challenges and the conviction will be loving and it will be kind. And here's what happens. if you you got to log the hours to get there, man. But what happens is you start to realize that being alone with him, which can sound scary, is actually the safest place imaginable. And I don't think you can just hear me say that and just believe it, mark it as true and move on. I think you got to live it. I think you got to do it. And then, and then you believe it down to your core. This is the best and the safest place ever for me to let my guard down 
for me to examine my own feelings, my own fears. That's where these things get healed. That's where they get healed. That's where the stuff that we're running from finally gets addressed. Okay, I want to read you. This is one of my favorite quotes. I literally think about it every day. I'll explain to you why. Um, this is a quote about friendship. Um, I think of it almost exclusively. I think about it as friendship as well, but as my friendship with Jesus, this is the lens as I think of this and why it has come to mean so much to me. Oh, the comfort, the inexpressible comfort of feeling safe with a person, having neither to weigh thoughts nor measure words, but to pour them all out, just as they are, chaff and grain together, knowing that a faithful hand will take and sift them Keep what is worth keeping, and then with a breath of kindness, blow the rest away. That's what it's like when you're with a good friend who you trust. You could just, you could just say it. <laughs> and you know, they know me, they love me, I'm safe with them, I'm comfortable with them, it's okay. The, the things that I say that aren't quite right or a little bit rude or I didn't quite you know, come out, you stop, you stop evaluating all of that because you know you trust your friend that with a breath of kindness, they'll blow all that away and stick to the substance. That's what you learn is true of our Lord when you consistently come to him in moments of silence and solitude. You realize, I, I, I can just be me. I can just speak freely. And I know that there's a hand of kindness. And if I say stuff, and here's, this is what's become my habit. That's why I think of this every day. I didn't even plan to do this. It just started happening. Um, I've started to pray like this, and that seems very spiritual, like, you know, that's how people pray. But I've started to pray, um, as far as my morning routine, pray just like this, um, because I imagine my thoughts and my prayers sort of piling up in my hand, knowing that some of it's probably theologically wrong, probably I'm asking for things that are outside of God's will, probably I said things that just weren't true. And then when I say, in Jesus' name, at the end, all right, I literally hold it up, and I pause after saying in Jesus' name, and I envision the Lord with a breath of kindness blowing everything away that's outside of his will, that's not what I should have prayed for, that's just me losing the plot, and knowing that the King of glory who loves me enough to die for me is kind enough to just say, I know, I know, I get it, you're you. <laughs> so I'm going to blow all that away, and I'll just take what's right and pure and good, and then I say Amen. As when we find our stillness with the Lord, we know that we can be trusted, that he, pardon me, he can be trusted with our own thoughts. And we can be very literally safe in his arms. Okay, let me ask you to stand uh, for prayer. Um, uh, it's interesting, you know, um, I talked about doing whatever it takes to get entirely alone. Maybe you crawl under a bed or put a yurt in your backyard or whatever it takes, right? Um, obviously, we can't do solitude here. Um, but we can do stillness here. We can be still. We can listen. Um, and it, if there's part of you that's going, I can't or I won't for whatever reason, I just want you to be, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to that. And what I think you'd like to do, I, the thing is, when we're just gathered in God's presence as we are now, there's some sort, it's like a force multiplier. It's like we can hear from the Lord a bit more clearly, or maybe a lot more clearly. 
Or maybe if we're, our minds are just so clogged, then someone in the room who loves us will hear from the Lord on our behalf and come and share that with us. Like, these are just moments where we get to hear from the Lord. So granted, we can't do solitude in a room full of people. But we can be still and we can listen to the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit wants to speak, you, speak to you about this subject or any other, um, now's a moment for us to hear that and receive. And, and the thing that I couldn't get away from this morning as I was praying specifically about this moment is... That as we are just, as we choose together here to be still and know, right? Be still and know that he is God. I just think ultimately if we're going to do this, it's because we have encountered the love of God and we know that it's okay. Because we've encountered the love of God and we know that it's okay if we get sort of agitated in the silence, the Lord will meet with us. That if we say something wrong with a breath of kindness, he'll blow it away. And also, it's okay because he actually wants to be alone with you. Because there are people who go, yeah, I'm on board. No way he is. (laughs) He doesn't want to be alone with me. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And so I think for us to take the next step forward for this, some of you have deep rhythms for this. Some of you couldn't go 30 seconds without breaking out knives. I get it. But that next step, whatever it is, I think involves us encountering the love of God. Let's just welcome his presence in that way. Lord, would you please come? Would you meet with us now? Lord, we we confess that sometimes we think of your grace as, as small, as your redemption as being incomplete, that when you declare us to be holy, maybe you didn't do it all the way, and so now we can't be in your presence or you wouldn't want to be in our presence or we can't say the right thing but Lord your the cross speaks a better word the cross speaks into those fears and insecurities and says if nothing else we are loved Lord I ask now that those hurting places the fear of approaching you that it would be addressed now with an encounter with your love. Just be still and know that you are loved. writhing right now. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Lord, would you speak to them? Speak calm and stillness to their soul and say, actually, it's true. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. For those of us who know and believe the love of God, but we don't believe it with the white hot intensity we once did, restore to us the joy of our salvation bring us back to that first love may we be stunned and amazed by the love that you have for us right now
so Pastor Chris is feeling kind of what I was feeling in the stillness as well, which is that I, in this moment, the Lord just, I think he might speak some specific things to you, uh, or maybe point you to particular scriptures. I just want you to take a moment to discern if that's what's going on. Is that for you, or might that be for our entire congregation? And if it's for our entire congregation, would you please write it down on the uh, prayer card in the back, chair back in front of you, write it down, share it with us, let us pray over those things, and then maybe we've got, um, through the Spirit, a gift to bring back to the church next week when we gather. So if that, if the Lord's doing that, I would, I just personally would ask you, it'd be great if you'd write it down and share it with us so that we can share it with others. We're going to continue um, to remain in the Lord's presence and continue to listen and respond to Him. And we'll respond now through song and through worship.